0: What is Jesus claiming when he says I am the light of the world? What is Jesus claiming when he says I am the light of the world? Like each of Jesus' seven I am claims in John's gospel, which we're walking through in this sermon series, each one of them is outrageous and audacious for any person to claim For themselves. Last week, I am the bread of life. This week, I am the light of the world. It's an audacious claim that the people of Jesus' day would have responded to with incredulity. How can he say this about himself? You, Jesus, are uniquely the light of the world? It's a little bit like Jean and Maurice, who Want to go home early from the office to watch hockey. Jean comes up with an idea and says, Maurice, I've got it. Jean and Maurice have to be French Canadian. I've got it. Here's what you do, Maurice you stand on your desk, you take the ceiling tile off, you grab a hold of the bar in the ceiling and hang there. And when the boss comes in and says, What are you doing? you say, I am a light bulb. And Maurice says, that is a lot of work, John, but I'll give it a try. And he does, and he takes off the ceiling tile, hangs there by the bar, and the boss comes in and says, what on earth do you think you're doing? And Maurice says, I am a light bulb. And the boss says, you had better go home and get some rest. And don't come back to the office until you are fully cured. And so Maurice Gets down and starts leaving, and Jean is following him out. And the boss turns to Jean and says, And where do you think you're going? And Jean says, Well, you cannot expect me to work in the dark, can you? (laughs) A man claiming to be a light bulb, what Jesus claims is even more outrageous. I am the light of the world. What is he claiming? I've been following Jesus for 25 years and I've found through the ups and through the downs of life that his claim is true. What you find as you meet Jesus and start following him, you find that you need his light to illuminate your life. You find that not only do you need his light to illuminate your life, you find as you follow Jesus, you need his light to instruct your life. Where am I to walk? What am I to do? But not only do we find that we need Jesus' light to illuminate our lives and to instruct our lives, but we need Jesus' light to ignite our own lives. See, Jesus is claiming first in this, I am the light of the world, that you and I need his light to illuminate our lives. Because without his light in my life, I am blind. Verse 12, I am the light of the world. See, it's easy for us to look at the world and to say, oh, look how so often the world is walking in darkness. Right? We just turn on the news. We look at what's happening around us. This week alone, still as the state is grieving and responding to the El Paso Massacre. The question arises in our own community, can Eastwood High School in El Paso play football against Plano Senior High School where the shooter graduated? Can we even do that safely? We open up our news apps and we see how dark this world is. It's not hard to see, it, but you know what is hard? It's hard to see how often you and I ourselves are walking in darkness. It's so much easier for us to look at the world and say, oh, look at the world, they're so often walking in darkness. It's so much harder for us to admit that so often we ourselves are in the dark. So often we get it wrong. We yearn for those words From Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 at Christmas, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those who dwell in the land of darkness, on them a light has shone. We long for those words, but do we realize those words are about our lives right now? Again and again, whether you're walking with Christ or not walking with Christ, there will be seasons of your life when it will be very dim around you. When you yourself when i myself will find myself in the dark see whether we're arguing with our political opponents or whether we're arguing with an annoying coworker or whether we're arguing with fellow drivers on the tollway or whether we're arguing with our spouses here's what we're often thinking i'm right I don't need any more illumination. I see the world just fine. And yet the problem is we so often get it wrong. So often we find that we've got it wrong. We don't always see the world the way we ought to see. We certainly don't act in response to the way we should act. We find ourselves walking in the dark. In Alan Jacob's book, How to Think, which we read this summer as our summer book study, at one point he says, just go onto Wikipedia and read the page, List of Cognitive Biases, and you'll be humbled. Just to see the scientific research that shows us how often human beings don't see the world right. We are biased, we are broken, we get it wrong. In the summer of 1998, I was in a repertory company, which means two productions, one cast, and we were doing Jean-Baptiste Moliere's The Miser in the evening, beautiful French comedy, but then during the day, we were doing Robin Hood the musical, awful, awful stuff, but it paid the bills. And at one point, I, I called the production director, and I said, you know, today, Before we gather for the evening show, I just want to make an announcement to the cast. And I didn't realize what a bomb I had set off in the production company because I didn't give any details about what I wanted to announce. Finally, about an hour before the cast meeting... I got called into the artistic director's office and he said these words to me. He said, Paul, I can't believe you're doing this to us. I'm going to call the actors union on you and get you disciplined. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, your announcement today to the cast. And I said, you mean the announcement where I'm going to tell the cast that Monica and I got engaged yesterday? And his face fell and he said, I was absolutely convinced you were announcing that you were quitting the show. I got it so wrong. And see, the problem with that story is we can think of so many other times in our lives when this happens. We get it wrong. We have this terrible tendency to think that we see so well, but we're in fact blind. We have a terrible tendency to say, oh, I don't need any more illumination in my life. I I see the world just fine. And we're in the dark. We get things wrong. And do you know what? This is a biblical concept. It's called sin. You are blind. You get it wrong because you're a sinner. The ancient theologians coined the doctrine of original sin to describe this, to say that getting it wrong is not something we just learn. Getting it wrong is something we inherit at birth. It's part of who we are. As Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 17, Paul says, now I say this and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the pagans do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. Without the light of Jesus in our lives, our original sin makes us blind. We get things wrong. We need to learn some theological, intellectual, epistemological humility. I'm not right a lot of the time without the light of Christ. As Reinhold Niebuhr says, the doctrine of original sin is the only empirically verifiable doctrine of the Christian faith. We can see it every day. You can measure original sin, us getting it wrong. But Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, the light of life. Jesus comes into the darkness our own personal darkness and does what only God can do. He brings light into darkness. Our Genesis one reading, right? Darkness covered the face of the deep and God said, let there be lights and behold, there was lights. It's interesting. Eight chapters earlier, John begins his gospel with words that kind of sound like Genesis chapter one describing Jesus coming into the world and the light that he brings to dispel the darkness. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. God's intention is to bring his light into our lives so that we no longer walk in darkness. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter four, again, pulling on this Genesis one and John chapter one concept, he says in verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus' light comes to dispel the darkness. We need to begin by recognizing that if we do not have his light illuminating our lives, we are in the dark. John Newton, the slave owner turned priest, hymn writer, didn't know how blind he was until he met the light of Christ. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Jesus is claiming that I need and you need his light to illuminate our lives or else we're stuck in the dark. But not only does He claimed that we need his light to illumine the darkness. He's also claiming in this that you and I need his light to instruct our lives, to teach us where we are to go. Now that we can see, well, where shall we walk? Now the path is no longer dark. I can walk. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness because of his illumination. Psalm 119, verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's amazing that in scripture, God again and again, especially in Psalm 119, uses God's word as light. John 1, God's word is light because word means command, guidance, instruction, leading. In other words, when we look at our lives and say, okay, Lord, bring your light into my life so I may know how to walk, God has not left us stumbling around in the darkness. He has spoken. He's showing us in his word the way to walk. The way to walk and where to walk. So it's amazing to live in the age we live in. This age of information, this digital age is never in the history of humanity Have we had so much data at our fingertips, but so little discernment? I mean, with all this knowledge, with all this data that comes at a Google search engine, we have become so unwise and confused, not knowing where to walk. We're lost in a world of relativism, a world of fake news, a world of wisdom dispensed through 16-year-old YouTubers. Tom Nichols, in his book, The Death of Expertise, the campaign against established knowledge and why it matters, he writes this, he says, it's like we have a new declaration of independence these days. No longer do we hold these truths to be self-evident, No, we hold all truths to be self-evident, even the ones that aren't true. All things seem to be knowable. All things and every opinion on any subject is as good as any other. When I was in Ottawa ministering for 10 years, uh, we had a growing number of uh, 20-something young men who started attending the church. And so one by one, they'd start coming to my office for private appointments. And it got to the point where I could see the pattern so clearly. 99, and I'm not exaggerating, 99% of the time, they came for one of two reasons to see me. And so as a result, eventually, I would get to the point where when the door would close and confidentiality would be, you know, sealed and we're there in private, I would then just say, so are you here today to talk about pornography or about discernment? And I could usually tell on their face which was which. These young men, these bright, well-educated, well-employed, great-upbringing Christian men were absolutely lost when it came to either their sexual identity or their vocational identity. What am I supposed to do with my life? So much data at our fingertips, so little discernment. We desperately desire instruction, and that's exactly what Jesus can uniquely give. Because he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. To follow Jesus is an invitation to be his disciple. It's the language of what a rabbi would say to a potential disciple, to a student, to an apprentice, to an intern— someone who comes alongside to watch that rabbi's life and say, I want to follow that rabbi so closely that their life will slowly but surely start to become my life. I'll start living the way they live. Their life, the rabbi's life, will be instructing me on the way that I should go. And Jesus' call for us to follow him To learn his life is an invitation to let his light, the light of his life, instruct us. See, what's amazing about Jesus' life, and for that matter all of inspired Holy Scripture, is that it it gives such a full picture of human life, of sin, of salvation, of hope, that there is not a single situation in your life that you can't go to Scripture and find God's divine instruction light on the path of where you should go. The Bible will not teach you how to build a rocket ship, but the Bible will teach you, God's Word will teach you how to save your marriage and how to learn humility and to understand what sacrifice is and hope and service and eternity. We long to be instructed and what Jesus is saying in this claim is that my life is light of instruction for you. Come, follow me, learn my ways. Jesus' way we will find again and again is the best way in every situation because as John 1 says, through him all things were made. He made life. And therefore says, so let me instruct you on how to live. As Dallas Willard wrote in The Divine Conspiracy, he said, I think we have finally have to say that Jesus' enduring relevance is based on his historically proven ability to speak to, to heal, and empower the individual human condition. Jesus comes to where we are and brings us the life we hunger for, as John one four says, "In him was life, and that life was the light of men." This Wednesday—not this Wednesday, but in a couple of weeks from now—we'll beginning on Wednesday evenings to enter into this new thing called church on Wednesdays. Many of you have heard about it. This is an opportunity for us to press further into what we've done for many years of offering. Bible study in classes on Wednesday nights. But this church on Wednesdays now is a greater push in that direction because we've added a meal together, fellowship. We've added praise, music, and prayer, and then we go off to our studies. And part of what we've done is we've made sure that every week of the year, there'll be topical studies here and there, but every week of the year, every week of the year on campus, there will be a Bible study that evening so that we may together as disciples follow after Jesus, learn his word, learn his way, let his light instruct our lives. Jesus, when he says, I am the light of the world, is claiming not only that we need him to illumine our lives, he's claiming that he is what we need to instruct our lives. But finally, Jesus is claiming that I need his light and you need his light to ignite our lives, to set us alight. Verse 12, again, the whole sermon, verse 12. Verse 12, whoever follows me will have the light of light. I love that language, will have the light of light, because it, it's the language of, of possession, of ownership, of ownership. You've taken it. It's something given to you. you. You have it. It's in your hands. It's in your life. If you follow me, Jesus says, it's not just that I'm going to shine light on you and shine light on your path so you know where to walk, but I'm actually going to give my light to you so that it will be in you. I will ignite you with my light. Because this has been God's plan all along not just to illumine us in the darkness, not just to instruct us in the way to go, but to ignite us with his own light. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. And you kind of wonder, you think, okay, there's John 8. I am the light of the world. Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. You want to say, okay, Matthew, John, who got it right here? And the answer is yes. Because what Jesus is saying in these two statements is precisely because I am the light of the world, as I come into your life, I will put my light into you so that you will become my light bearers in the world. You will become the light of the world. It's like on Christmas Eve where we light the candles together, right? The one light from the front moves slowly through the congregation until the whole room is ignited this is a picture of what God is doing with us the church not only illuminating our paths and instructing our ways but lighting us on fire that we could give light to others it's interesting that this teaching takes place we're told verse 20 at the temple treasury the temple treasury was just on the far end of the temple proper before you'd go into the court of Israel and then the court of the priests and the Holy of Holies. And as a result in the temple treasury, you would have seen the windows of the temple proper where the light of the temple, the light of the menorah would be shining through those windows. And what's interesting is Jesus is standing there in the temple treasury, and I wonder if he looks up and sees the the light coming through the windows, the light of the menorah, and as an object lesson says, you see the lights? I am the lights." And what he's saying to us is, then I will light you on fire so that you will be the light in the world. You see, what's neat about the temple windows is in ancient Israel, when you would build your home you would build your home windows in such a way that there would be a small window cut on the outside wall. But then as you dug through into the inside wall, you would widen that hole. So that as a result, that little bit of light from outside would spread broader into the inside room, the outside light broadly spilling into the inside room. But in the temple, they built the windows backwards. On the inside wall of the temple, they built the small space, the small window. But then as the window moved to the outer wall, it would spread and divide so that the light from inside the temple would grow as it went out into the world. This is the picture of what God is doing with us, igniting us. So we are not just illuminated, we are not just instructed, but we are ignited to bring light to others. This is at the very core of what it means to be human. This is the purpose which we long for, oh Lord, that I would be used for something greater than myself in this world. And Jesus has done this miraculous work of turning you and I, igniting us into his lights. He does this in his death and resurrection. As he takes our sin and everything broken in us, And through that empty grave then gives us this new life. Something fundamental shifts in you and I that we can never earn, that we can never attain, that we can never find on our own. It can only be given by sheer grace. He makes you and I light. As Ephesians 5, 8 says, once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. What is Jesus claiming when he says, I am the light of the world? He's claiming that you and I need his lights to illuminate our lives or else we're in the dark. He's claiming that you and I need his lights to instruct our lives, to know where we are to go and how we are to go. And he's claiming when he says, I am the light of the world, that his light is what you and I need to be ignited into our true purpose in this life to bring light to an ever, what seems like an ever darkening world. But as I close, perhaps today you feel rather unilluminated of late. Perhaps you feel coming in today that you have not been that instructed by his light for a season. Perhaps you come in today saying, I don't really feel that ignited. In fact, I feel rather dim. It's been a hard week. It's been a hard month. It's been a hard life. And you may say to yourself, maybe this whole light of the world thing just isn't for me. But you got to hear the gospel. This light that Jesus promises is not something that you can attain or something that you and I can earn. This light is a fact and a reality for all of us who come to him in faith. This light is a reality for all of us who believe in him. This light is a promise that we have by nature, not of how well we've done this week, but by nature of what he has done in us. By nature of our baptism, which is why we have returned the giving of the baptismal candle at baptism to say, you now have the light. Your sin and my sin cannot undo what Christ has done in us. Sure, we can become distracted. Sure, our sin can get us confused. Sure, our sin can seem to dim our lights, but they're not out. We can't undo what he's lit in us. And so, Christian, if you feel dim and unilluminated and uninstructed of late, hear my favorite movie moment. It's from Hook, Dustin Hoffman, and Robin Williams. Peter Pan as some of you know with this film has moved away from never neverland and he's grown up and he's become very serious in fact he's become a mergers and acquisitions lawyer to which Wendy later says Peter you've become a pirate and he returns to never neverland and the lost boys find him and they don't recognize him as Peter Pan until so one lost boy walks up to him and begins pulling on the wrinkles around his eyes, pushing back his face, and finally squeezing back a smile, and then says, Oh, there you are, Peter. This is why we come to church, so that in word and sacrament we can be reminded of who we are. Who are you? If you are in Christ, then you are a person who he is illuminating. If you are in Christ, you are a person whom he is instructing with his word and spirit. And if you are in Christ, you are a person that he has ignited and will fan that flame for the sake of the world. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.